we uh, know that our ways are not your ways, Father, and our thoughts are not your thoughts, but we just pray that our thoughts this morning could be yours and that you could share with us your message of creation here. And um, we, we know you've given us this account for us to understand and know more about you, and, and that's our deepest desire, Father. So we just, we really want to learn and know from you this morning and that these words would be yours and not mine. And we just uh, thank you for this time that we can have. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, if you would turn once again to Genesis 1. We started some of this last week, but uh, let me just read uh, 1, 1 through verse 8. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Last time we uh, talked a little bit about uh, waters, and we, and we have to remember that um, that in this primordial part of Genesis 1 doesn't exist now. And so it, it's difficult. We can ponder a long time what some of these terms mean. And waters is one of those. Uh, we know it's not just simple water because it's plural. Um, and so it's, it's interesting to think about what, what this might be. We know it's a, sort of a precursor to light because light happens in Genesis 1-3 after Genesis 1-2. But, but if we could just, maybe to set the stage for this, let's look at a thought experiment, okay? Physicists love that. You may not know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Uh, you, you'll, uh, you'll catch on real quick. If we just look at water, um, and this is, remember, the plural, so there's something deeper here than just maybe just liquid water. Um, so if we take ice and we heat it, and then we reach a phase transition where it becomes liquid water, and then we continue heating it, and then it becomes water vapor, and we continue heating it until it becomes what? Plasma, Plasma that fourth state of matter. And so these are all phase transitions. And so if we continue heating it, then we, if we could get up to something like 10 to the 10 or uh, 100 billion degrees, 
which are some of the temperatures that they get like in the, in the, in the big accelerators and the, the Large Hadron Collider and CERN, they get up to about 10 to the 10 or higher even uh, degrees, 10 to the power of 10 uh, degrees Kelvin. And so we could just keep heating this, if you, if you imagine that, we just keep heating this. And so we're up into the, the plasma area. And so water is a little more complicated than what we just see it at face value. That uh, plasma, actually the, the standard model of cosmology talks about a plasma as the early state of the universe. They, because they, that's why they try to do that in those accelerators, is to try to replicate the Big Bang. They're not even close, but they can get real high temperatures. So this plasma then uh, may be sort of an inkling as to what those waters were at the very beginning. It's a possibility. Um, this this uh, plasma, very high temperature plasma before uh, light was created. Um, so, we talked last time about 1-1 being a summary declarative verse. There's no gap. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a, de a declaration that's seen nowhere else. Nobody else can even say anything like that. And so then, verse 2 starts off and gives us sort of the initial conditions before the, the sequence, the orderly sequence of creation here. And the earth was formless and void, uh, uncreated, empty, didn't exist yet. And why do we start with the earth here? Well, this is the human reference frame, right? This is where Moses was recording it, and so we start with the earth as our reference frame. And the earth was formless and void, empty, uncreated, uh, and second condition, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Interesting thing is that that word surface is the same in both parts of that verse. So you have the surface of the deep, and what's the deep? The, the abyss, if you will. Uh, we, we made a sort of a connection to, you know, mathematical, geometric, infinite space, if you will. Uh, there's really, no, there's no expanse yet, and so this is some depth or abyss. Uh, I'll show you. Stay with me. No, I don't think so. This, this is light, and there are other verses, I'll show you, that, that light is separate from the sun. Yeah, and, and there's, there, I'll show you these verses, Gordon. Stay with me. Don't, don't look angry. Just stay with me. Um, so release of his nature. Like I said, God is light. Um, he is pure light. First Timothy 6.16 says he, he dwells in unapproachable light. Uh, and there are lots of other verses. Um, one of the most interesting is if you just turn to, to Ezekiel 1 for a second. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but um, Ezekiel 1, it's kind of an important rabbit trail. So what this, we know that this light is related to God's nature. It's like a release of his nature. In Ezekiel 1, this is sort of a fascinating little package. If we... It, it, passage. If we start in verse 26, uh, now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne, like lapis lazuli, or like 
bright blue sapphire in appearance. And on that, which resembled the throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire, and there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard a voice speaking. Who is this? This is the pre-incarnate Christ. Whenever you see man there, well, that's a pretty good, pretty good hint. So this is a, a vision of Ezekiel of the, of the pre-incarnate Christ. But, but notice what kind of light is implied here. Did you notice that? Like glowing metal. You've all had the experience of something heating on the stove or you're, you know, you're heating some iron in, in some fire and it glows red. Thermal radiation which will make the connection to thermal black body radiation as the release of this light later on. Barb can only handle so much physics in any session, so I'm kind of gauging myself here. Um, so, but but this, this is a great hint, and we see this, this thermal radiation or, or fire, uh, for our God is a, con, is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. So there's, there's this deep connection of what kind of light or radiation uh, is related to God's nature. He's a consuming fire. That's thermal radiation. So that's a little sidelight, but it's in it. we'll come back to that when we talk more implications of Genesis 1-3 and the release of this light, and might we possibly see that light as a remnant today? Yeah, I think we can. Um, so... Yeah, are you trying to take all my thunder today, Porter? It's exactly what it is. Uh, I, yeah, I have some pictures of it. Um, Got to figure out how to project them. I'm kind of the Charlie PowerPoint kind of guy, you know, pointing at, you know, whatever. Um, but, but I have some great pictures of it. And just since you brought it up, uh, the fascinating thing about uh, the cosmic microwave background, just a little bit of a preview, is that this is a, a, a background signal that nobody knew existed. Uh, people had, since the 40s, uh, predicted that, that maybe the universe didn't exist forever, like the steady state model, but maybe it had a beginning, and maybe it had this hot thermal beginning. And so guys had made that prediction, but they never looked for the signal. And so it took a couple of Bell engineers, Penzias and Wilson, at Bell Labs in 1965, which, that's pretty recent. You know, when we think about developing cosmology. So in 1965, they had this huge horn that they were uh, trying to get the most sensitive because they were using the echo satellites at the time, the big balloons. And so it didn't have a transponder, so the signal was very weak. And so they were just looking for reflections off of these big echo balloons. And so they really had to, to, to get rid of all the noise and, and get the sensitivity of this big horn receiver at, at Bell Labs. And so they, they just, there was this one noise signal they could not get rid of. It just was there. And so they thought it was pigeon dropping, so they killed all the pigeons. 
uh, in typical double E's, you know. Uh, we're going to get to this. And so um, they, they really refined the equipment, and they, they tried to get rid of all the noise, and um, they just they couldn't do it. In parallel, there were people at Princeton who were more into cosmology. Remember the Bell Labs? They were just engineers, you know, satellite engineers, basically. At uh, Princeton, people were actually building a receiver to look for this cosmic microwave background about the same time frame, 65. And so um, about that time, Penzias went to a conference, and he had met some of these guys working on the Princeton radiometer, Dickey and some others. And um, he met them, and so they kind of informed him about cosmology. And, and so um, they were uh, the, the Princeton group, Dickey and Peebles and all these other famous names, were, were sitting around having a, a box lunch, and Penzias calls and says, I think we've found your signal. And so, pretty famous comment, um, Dickey hangs up the phone and says, boys, we've been scooped. So the signal had been detected by these guys. Uh, and uh, the tragedy was that they got the Nobel Prize for actually detecting this background signal that is everywhere, everywhere you look, and which with this ground-based system, you couldn't even get the whole spectrum because some are you know, are uh, canceled by the atmosphere. And so later on, there was this thing called the COBE satellite that was launched, and it actually looked at the entire spectrum. And the fascinating thing is when you look at this black body spectrum, if some of you are familiar with it, it's not a line spectrum, it's, it's actual, actual shape. When you look at the COBE satellite pictures, it's an absolutely perfect thermal spectrum, which means there are no other competing high temperature objects that would corrupt that spectrum. It's a one source, pure black body spectrum, which has to be related to the origin of the universe. So that's what all the cosmologists are dancing in the street about, is that ah, we found, this shows that the, that the universe began, had, had a began, it had this hot thermal beginning, and uh, in reality, that's the remnant, remnant of Genesis 1-3. It's amazing. <clears throat> Thanks, Porter, for causing me to have more marriage problems when we get home after church. But it, no, I, I mean, again, this is, this is pretty recent. Um, just pass these around and you can look at these, these pictures of the spectrum. The fascinating thing, and you know, cosmology wants to relate this to this, to the cosmic fireball, right? This, this, yeah, which they call a cosmic fireball. The problem is that there's other particles and things that would corrupt this signal. But this is like in the, into the blackness of space, this CMB, the cosmic microwave background. So when you look at these, there aren't even error bars small enough to, to refine this curve. It's amazing. Can only be one reason for that. So if you want to just glance at those, pass them around. There was nothing that existed before it. Genesis 1-3, into the, the deep, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then later on, he expands this 
this light that's created into the expanse in Genesis 1, 6, we'll, we'll get there in a couple minutes. And so that means it's, it's expanded to be a diffuse, low temperature signal where it probably started at a very high temperature, bright. I mean, we know God is bright. He dwells in, you know, um, unapproachable brightness, which means temperature. And so before the expanse was, it was. And then, then the expanse thinned it out, rakia. That's what the expanse is, rakia, to, you know, expanded to thinness. <clears throat> I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Um, I'm not paying Porter to, to do any of this. <laughs> Actually, he should probably pay me if he keeps doing this stuff. <laughs> one of the psalms, it's, it's kind of one of the creation psalms, Psalm 104. Uh, the first couple of verses are kind of illuminating here. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. This is actually, actually the order of Genesis 1, which we'll see. Light was created, and then later on the expanse was, was made that, that took this to thinness. <clears throat> Okay, if we continue on, as I, I, I do not want to get bogged down at this point, if we look at uh, continuing on like to Genesis 1-4, uh, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Who or what is good? Only God. Only God is good. And so again, this, this is part of his nature. And God, and God saw that the light was good. That's also interesting that this, this light was immediately visible. It wasn't locked up in some cosmic fireball. And you know, modern cosmology says, yeah, we weren't able to see the light for 380,000 years because of, the, because of the, 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 the cosmic fireball, the plasma, and all the other particles and things. And then it expanded and cooled. And then 380,000 years later, we could see the light. Nah, nah. That spectrum you'll see doesn't indicate anything like that because that would really be a fragmented, rough uh, signal in that case, but it's pure because it was into the, the deep itself. Uh, and God saw that the light was good, like his nature, and God separated the light from the darkness. Now, again, the separation of light from darkness is sort of like Kevin said. It's like uh, good and evil, uh, and then later on in the next verse, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night, that very well might be the extent of this God separated uh, the light from the darkness. There can be some other physics reasons there that are interesting too, but it might just be a simple definition of God separates light from darkness. And in, in verse 5, and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. So we've made this point before, but in Scripture, uh, one day when there's a, a number, 
uh, a numerical assignment or definition. It's specific, definitive. Uh, one, one day uh, or the second day or whatever. If it's just day in general, that could be a more general uh, time frame. Day without number could be just a space or an interval. Let me show you where the, you can see all this in, in just a couple of verses. If you turn to Genesis 2, <clears throat> Genesis 2, 1 and 2 first, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. So seventh day, it's explicit, it's definitive, seventh day. But look at verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. So that day there doesn't have a, a, an assigned number. It's just a more general time frame. In the day that we talk like that all, all the time. In the day that this or that happened. Um, could be more general. So... Um, <clears throat> Just to reiterate what when we see the word day there. Uh, and again, we'll, we'll differentiate this from, um, you know, day-age theories. There's not, there isn't really a necessity to spin these webs of things like day-age theories when, when we look a little closer at the account, and I'll show you that. Um, If we just turn quickly to Joshua 10. Let me just read this. This is Joshua 10, verses 12 to 14. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jashar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky. It did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So it doesn't take the sun to define what a day is. In the days that we see in Genesis 1, uh, the, that's before the sun was created. The sun and the stars were not created yet. Porter, you're almost at your question limit here. Okay. I wonder if there's any, is there a reference on that, I wonder? Yeah, we need to find that reference. Um, there's another verse that I, I'm thinking of that I want to see if I can find it here. Um, Nah, we'll just have to go on and maybe I'll come back and 
can find it. So, back to Genesis 1. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Now, um, in verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Again, there's that word waters again. There's something bigger going on here, especially when it separates the waters from the waters. How does that even make sense? Um, so there's something greater than just H2O water here. Um, the word expanse, as I said, it's, it's rakia, which means to thinness. Again, if you just kept blowing up a balloon, that, that surface, that spherical surface of that balloon, it gets thinner and thinner. And, and that's this light signal, this, this, this remnant of Genesis 1-3. It's getting you know, thinner and thinner as the, as the expanse is made. Um, and in one seven, and God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. So, um, again, this, this is a little different than his creation of light, which he just released, this is an expanse that he had, uh, had to make, and then God made the expanse. Um, if you look at uh, Psalm 33, just real quick. I'm trying not to kill us with cross-references, but honestly, I have a lot more here than I'm going through. Uh, Psalm 33, 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And then down in verse 9, for he spoke, and it was done. Uh, he commanded, and it stood fast. So he spoke all these things into existence, um, which really, how can we explain that? How can we, you know, have more detail than that? Um, <clears throat> And it's, it's complete. Uh, modern cosmology, they're just spinning all these tales of, of not, not only is the universe still expanding, but it's accelerating. It, it, but where does that energy come from? Uh, they never answer that. It's just, uh, and actually it was, it was a misinterpretation of a few supernova redshifts. They picked the ones they wanted, and they said, oh yeah, the universe is accelerating and expansion because that's way cool. You know, we can really spin some more stuff off of this. Nah. Um, uh, the expanse is complete. There can be many other reasons for that redshift that we see. Uh, in, in Job, uh, the Lord says, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. The expanse is complete. It's finished, just like he says in Genesis uh, two, one. Um, when it says, and God made the expanse, that's past tense. He made it. It's done. Complete. And everything was not just complete, as we see when we'll get to Genesis 2, but it's very good. 
So how is something that's still being made very good? Doesn't make any sense. Um, the, the expanse is complete, contrary to what modern cosmology would tell you. And again, there's some other great you know, possibilities for explaining the redshift, rather than the universe flying apart. You know, doesn't make any sense. Um, and in uh, one eight, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, uh, a second day. So, the creation of the expanse here in one six uh, to one eight. Uh, it's complete. It's conti not continuing to expand, which is what the postulated Big Bang does. And again, like Porter and I were just talking about, there, there can be other reasons for this Hubble redshift, is what, it, what it's called. As we look at distant galaxies, they are increasing, increasingly redshifted. Uh, can be a, a number of reasons uh, for that, which we'll talk about those when we talk more about the, uh, the uh, secular uh, cosmology. Um, so let me just summarize this and read the first eight verses again. It, it, it's good to come back to this and just go over this for continuity purposes. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. So I have a lot more notes and uh, no time. Um, what, what, I can't read that clock. What time is it? I got a couple minutes. Okay, way too much to do in that time frame. Um, <clears throat> well, I shortchanged it when we did when we looked at Psalm 104. Let me just go back there for a second. Um, I'll just read it again. Psalm 104, the first few verses. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord, my God. Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with splendor and majesty, covering thyself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. Goodness. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. Now, do you all see some connections there that we've talked about, like thermal radiation and, and uh, upper chambers uh, in the waters. Again, that sort of 
would, would indicate that upper chambers, you know, way in the higher dimensional space where this plasma was, this, this quantum energy before he released it as light, um, that's what maybe these upper chambers are uh, in the waters. Um, so Psalm 104 is a good one to, to go back and it's the authors not listed, uh, listed here, but I mean, when you compare it with Psalm 103, it could very well have been David, but it's not listed, so we don't know uh, for sure. Um, later on in Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how many are thy works? In wisdom thou hast made them all. Kevin, there you go. There's wisdom again. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy possessions. And down in verse 30, thou dost send forth thy spirit, they are created. So creation, is it spiritual? Yeah, it's not natural. It's not natural, the very voice of God himself. Um, thou dost send forth thy spirit, they are created. Okay, any questions at all? Oh, I have a bunch, but I won't go over them yet. Um, see, I, I, I have stayed away from those because those seem to be spinning webs to make another interpretation work, and, and I'm not sure we need to go there. Uh, would you repeat it for Porter? The, the water vapor canopy? I think that was a, that was a Henry Morris thing. Oh, and there's issues with what the earth was like before the flood, too. And, and I'm not going to get into that. Uh, I have to focus here or, or we're dead. So um, I, I just I can't get into that. But there's some interesting, uh, you know, things about that. Any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. Hi, Martha. It's amazing, though. The, the, it's, it's not a, a cold, impersonal universe. And, and these connections like this where, we, yeah, we can observe the universe and see these things, but it's, it's a personal God. And it's just amazing. That's why Psalm 104 has, has always struck me. So, yep. Yeah, it is. There's some, some great parallel passages that we'll try to hit as many of them as, as we can. Any other questions or comments? Yes, Tom. Um, in, in the 
light and then there's darkness the first day. So you're saying that the light is not the sun. Well, we have three of the light, and there's, there's light, unstoppable light. How is there darkness in the first day? Well, that's Genesis 1 2. Those are the initial conditions. Absolute darkness before Genesis 1 3. Uh, Psalm 74. I think that's the verse I was trying to remember. Uh, if I can find it here. Well, it's one of his initial conditions. There, This is another one of those verses that talks about how the light is different than the sun. Um, this is Psalm 74, uh, 16. Thine is the day, thine also is the night. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. They're different. They're different. Yes, Karen. Yeah, he'll illuminate, illuminate all of us. Um, just to wrap up here, I wanted to show you this real quick. This was, uh, Robert Jastrow was a, was a famous astrophysicist, um, and he wrote this book, I think, in the early 90s, and he was actually interviewed by Dobson, which is interesting. And so Dobson loved this, this quote that he had, and um, let me just read it. Now, this, this is this last paragraph, and so I'm taking a little out of context, but, but bear with me here. Now, we would like to pursue that inquiry further back in time. We want to get back to the beginning. Well, there's only one place that talks about the beginning. Uh, but the barrier to further progress seems insurmountable. Again, the, the perils of, you know, secular cosmology. It is not a matter of another year, another decade of work, another measurement, or another theory at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. Amazing for a guy like this to admit that. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. So, it's amazing. Um, 
I'm sure he probably wasn't real popular with his colleagues with that, but I thought it was a pretty honest thing. Okay, let me close. Father, we just thank you for your word, and again, we just uh, yearn to know your thoughts, Father. And um, so we, we thank you for any illumination, any light that you've given on these verses, and uh, I just... Uh, I'm sorry, I just, I can't do it more justice, Father, but, but you can lead us through this. And, and uh, so, again, we just thank you for your word, the power of your word, and your salvation in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, sure. You, don't mind. you can get them. There you go. Just take a picture so it's easy to remember. <laughs> it's pretty classic. So are you going Hi, to eventually go into what the earth was like before the flood? I...